We're in a series on spiritual warfare, and the title to my message today is Anger, the Devil's Foothold. Now, I told you initially when I talked about spiritual warfare and the armor of God, it wasn't going to be put on the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, which nothing wrong with that. I'll talk about that at the very end. But there are some things scattered in between the Apostle Paul's warning that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And sometimes Christians don't understand the things that the enemy uses in our life to absolutely decimate our Christian testimony. One of those things is anger. There was a little boy who asked his dad one time, Dad, how do wars begin? Well, the First World War began, said his father, when Germany invaded Belgium. Immediately his wife interrupted him and said, Tell the boy the truth. It began because someone was murdered. The husband drew himself up with an air of superiority and snapped back. Are you answering the question, or am I? Turning back to her upon in a huff, the wife walked out of the room and slammed the door as hard as she could. When the dishes stopped rattling and the walls stopped shaking in the cupboard, an uneasy silence followed, broken at a length by the little boy who said, Dad, you don't have to tell me anymore. Now I know. <laughs> How true that is. Unresolved anger and conflict. How do you handle this in life? Well, we're going to turn to God's Word this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, this is the same book in which the Apostle Paul addresses spiritual warfare. And I want to read to you verses 25 and following. I have 26 on the screen, but I need to read 25 because this sets the context. Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood... Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now let me stop there. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, well the Bible says never go to bed angry. Well, that's a good principle, but let me just share something with you. Sometimes it's okay to go to bed angry. Just make sure you deal with it the next morning. A little practical advice here. If you get into a fight at 11.30, don't stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning trying to resolve it. Go to bed. Deal with it the next morning. Sometimes you make things worse. Okay, just a little pastoral advice here. The point Paul makes is do not let anger remain as a deep-seated issue in your life. I've shared this with women many, many times. If you ever want to discuss something controversial with your husband, never do it when he's hungry. Men think differently when they're hungry. Feed him first. If you want a domestic and a fight and an argument, argue with with a hungry man. You'll get one. Okay? Do not let the sun go down your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul goes on to say, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I want to point you back to the text this morning where Paul mentions that we are to let anger go away because if we don't, we give the enemy a foothold. Now let's pray and ask God to bless his word this morning. Father, bless your word as you've instructed us on your created beings how to live. Help us, Father, this morning to realize that dealing with anger is spiritual warfare and there's nothing that the enemy wants to do more than to destroy our Christian testimony and even our life and our relationships by unresolved, deep-seated anger. So help us to see what you have to say about it and to deal with it in the way you tell us. And we'll be thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when researching an issue like this, you see how large the topic of anger is in Scripture. As a matter of fact, we're going to look in just a few moments at the first mention of anger in the Bible is actually between two brothers. Can you imagine that, brothers? One got mad at the other, Cain and Abel. But as a matter of fact, I started thinking through Scripture, and you could almost think through every major biblical character, and you can see periods of anger in their life and the way they dealt with things and the way they didn't. For example, Moses, the, the greatest leader in the nation of Israel, the giver of the law, Moses was so angry when the people grumbled and complained against him that he smote the rock that God told him to speak to, and it cost Moses the inability to enter the promised land with the nation of Israel. He died on a mountain because he lost his temper. And many times our anger can cause us great, great harm and damage in life. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 what we are to do with anger. Notice what he says, Put it to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Mark it down, folks. Everything that the world lives for today brings God's wrath. He says it is coming. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked. When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Notice the beginning of his list. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Slander. And obscene talk from your mouth. This is about as clear that doesn't need any explanation as there is. Paul says we are to put these things off. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. William Secker writes, He that carries anger to bed with him will find the devil crept between the sheets. Very, very true. Deep-seated anger is a foothold for the enemy. So quickly, let's talk about what is anger. Anger is basically a strong emotion of irritation or agitation that occurs when a need or an expectation in your life is not met. 
Now, oftentimes the expectation is what we have. You know, you all hear me quickly. We think life should go a certain way. When life doesn't go the way that we think it should go, we get angry. And we have this concept of life of rose-colored glasses. In other words, we look at Facebook or we look at fairy tales and we think that life should be this certain way and nothing bad should ever happen because this is who I am and this is th- and so forth and here we go down this road and then all of a sudden something happens. You lose your job. You get sick. You're diagnosed with cancer. Something terrible happens. Maybe you're raised in a family with very, very mean relatives. You know, by the way, all of us have those kind of people in our family. We all have very difficult people in our family. Hard, if not impossible, to get along with. And we ask ourselves the question, why? This shouldn't be happening to me. And all of a sudden we realize it does. So there's an expectation that's not met. And as a result of that, anger just begins to come up inside of us. Anger, like heat, has many degrees, one person wrote. It ranges from mild, controlled irritations to hot, uncontrolled explosions. In fact, anger is a wide umbrella word that covers many levels of the emotion. But the point is, is that we have to understand that anger comes in four major forms. You ready for this? The first form is indignation. This is the idea of a simmering anger that is often associated with righteous anger. Jesus was uh, indigenated. He was furious when the apostles would not let the children come to him. Look up the word. Jesus was, he was indigenous. He said, do not forbid the kids to come. He sat and watched them push all the children away. So this concept is often put with righteous anger. And then there's this concept of wrath. Wrath is a burning anger that is accompanied by a desire to avenge. Wrath often moves from the emotion of anger to the outward expression of anger. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in the truth. In this passage, God expresses His wrath as divine judgment on those who commit willful sin. So God has a burning anger accompanied with a desire to avenge. We have lost this concept of God today because God doesn't strike immediately against those who rebel against Him. We think that God has forgotten His wrath. But let me remind you, God's wrath has not been forgotten. Peter says that God is patient, not desiring to destroy, but wanting men to repent. Then there's a third type, a third form of anger, and that is fury. Fury is fiery anger so fierce that it destroys common sense. You ever been there? You ever been furious where you do something that you know that you shouldn't, but you do it anyway? The word fury suggests a powerful force compelled to desire to harm or destroy Some members of the Sanhedrin were so angry with Peter and the other apostles for proclaiming that Jesus was God that the text says they were furious 
and wanted to put them to death. And then number four is rage. Rage is blazing anger that results in a loss of self-control. It's often associated to the extreme of violence and even temporary insanity. After an outburst of rage, how many times have you ever heard people say, I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe I said that. Yet those who continue to vent their rage toward others, including God, find themselves defeated by their own destructive decisions and ruined relationships. Unresolved anger, whether it began in childhood or it happens in life, if it is not dealt with God's way, will destroy everything in your life. It will destroy your relationship with your spouse, with your parents, with your children, with your co-workers, with your neighbors. If we don't deal with it the way God tells us to, it will destroy us. And by the way, some people even get angry at God. Let me just pause for a minute to share. This is a whole sermon in itself. Sometimes people struggle with this. They say, God, I cannot believe, because here's how we reason. God is good, God is all-powerful, and God can allow and He can deny anything He wants in our life. But if God allows something bad to come in my life, listen to our human thinking, then somehow or another God isn't good. And so now we get angry at God because He allowed something in our life and we begin to, in our heart, shake our fist at God. I can't believe you did this. And this is what we call seeing the tree instead of the forest. Let me just talk to you as Americans who live in Montgomery County in the town of Christiansburg or around the surrounding. Something bad happens in your life and you say, God, I can't believe you let this happen to me. How can you be so bad? You're seeing one tree. Maybe it's powerful in your life. But let me stop you for a moment. How can God be so good? Not one of us are going to go home tonight worried about where we're going to sleep. Not one of us are leaving this building today worried about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. Not one of us are worried about anything in those major areas of our life. We worry about the other thing or the other one or two things. God is so gracious and so good to us that we don't even understand the blessings we have. Folks, do you realize I received a a message this past week. We don't even know what happens around the world from us, but thankfully I'm involved in a mission that's over in Lebanon Hyper, hyper inflation. People are sitting in line six and eight hours a day to get two gallons of gasoline. There is no food. People are eating out of trash cans, fist fighting over garbage cans to find scraps to feed their children. And all kinds of things are happening in that country. It is absolutely disintegrating. And for one of the first times in the history of that nation, people are now crying, we want an outsider to rule us. And if you've never traveled outside of this this country, you do not realize how blessed we are materially. We live in the most blessed nation and country in the world. And just the fact that you were raised and born here 
is a, is a blessing that you don't understand unless you travel outside of this nation. And sometimes it's good to get a perspective on the rest of the world. I could stand here all day and tell you stories about people in the Middle East, people in Sudan, in Africa, who do not have basic necessities in life and yet get over anger toward God. It's not even in their mind. And so we as Americans have another layer because we almost live in the promised land. Sometimes we get angry at God. So let's ask some questions. And I wish we were in a where you could interact with me, but I'm just going to have to assume you can do this. Number one is sin. Is it a sin for me to be angry? Yes or no? Thank you. Somebody said no. Boy, it took a brave person to shout out no. The initial feeling of anger is a God-given emotion. It's just like sadness. It's like happiness. It's like any other emotion that we have. So anger in itself is not sin. But listen carefully. The way you respond and express this emotion determines whether or not you allow anger to become sinful. Another question, how can I keep from feeling guilty when I'm angry? Answer, your anger is a signal that something in your life is wrong. It's like a red warning light on the dashboard of your car. The purpose of the light is to propel you to action. It's to cause you to stop and evaluate what is wrong and then to take the appropriate action by using God's wisdom in how to respond. Question number three. How can a God of love be a God of wrath at the same time? Let me help you with a little theology here. How can God be love and be wrath at the same time? Listen to this. God's love and God's wrath work in tandem with each other. God has all of his attributes working together. His all-knowledge, his all-power, his goodness, his wrath... They all work together to form a perfect justice about God. When God carries out wrath, God does it because of love. Do you hear me? When God withholds wrath, God does it because of love. And we could go right down the list when you try to understand who God is. So God can be a God of wrath and a God of love at the same time. A fourth question, can people really be angry even when they don't look or sound angry? Mm. The answer is yes. Many people have difficulty expressing or even recognizing the emotion of anger inside them. Instead, they have learned to deny, ignore, repress anger by burying it deep, deep within their hearts. However, we have to realize it's not hidden from God because He understands it and He sees it for what it is. Now quickly, let's talk about some types of anger. First of all, there's prolonged anger. This is what one writer calls the simmering stew. You know when your wife puts something in the crock pot and you just watch it sit there and boil? This is like, it just sits there and slowly simmers. This type of anger results from an unforgiving heart towards some past offense or offender. Unforgiveness eventually results in resentment or deep bitterness that harms other relationships. In other words, someone made me mad. 
I didn't deal with it. And therefore, I'm just going to hold it inside me and not let it be seen. But it's going to impact every area of my life. It's prolonged. I'm just not willing, willing to deal with it. The second type is pressed down anger. This type of anger has been called the pressure cooker. It gets so hot and so steamed, but thankfully there's a valve on top that just keeps the whole thing from exploding. It is denied or hidden anger until you hear the little jiggle on top of the pressure canner. It usually results from fear of facing negative emotions. This kind of anger can create a deceitful heart and lead to untruthfulness with others. Are you angry at me? Oh, no. No, I'm not angry at you. I'd just like to kill you, but I'm not angry at you. Failure to honestly confront and resolve angry feelings can result in self-pity. Are you all listening? Self-pity? You know, sometimes people feel sorry for themselves and they're all wrapped up in their self and we think, well, that's the most selfish person in the world. It could be. But it could be that the root cause of this person's problem is not necessarily selfishness. It could be anger. And they are so furious and so angry that they want all the attention for themselves and it causes an infestation. And so this person fails to deal with it, filled with self-pity, filled with self-contempt, and are you ready for this one? Filled with self-doubt. There is no confidence in their life. And this ultimately sabotages most relationships that they touch. The third kind of type of anger is provoked anger. This is known as the short fuse or the outburst anger. It's quick, it's impatient, it's instantly irritated, instantly incensed. A testy temper is often expressed with criticism or sarcasm under the guise of always teasing. Now, you know, in our family, we tease and we joke some. Do you know they actually teach you in counseling that some people who constantly tease and constantly joke and try to always turn things to a sarcastic tone are filled with anger? And it's their way of venting themselves toward others. Maybe they have this anger that's provoked and they don't deal with it. And then finally, the fourth type of anger is profuse anger. This has been called the volcano or the volatile volcano. It just sets and it waits to erupt and then something little happens. You know, maybe somebody spills milk or orange juice on the table and the dad absolutely goes off the deep end, throws the table upside down, slings the chairs everywhere, starts screaming and yelling and fussing and throwing things. And you think to yourself, all of that over a glass of milk? No. Stop for a minute. No. What you're seeing is the volcano. There's something down inside the human heart that's waiting for it to explode, but it has never been dealt with because it meets one of these types of anger. Sometimes the profuse anger uh, is powerful, destructive, and the way to release this anger is characterized by contempt, violence, and most always abuse toward other people. There are appropriate and inappropriate ways to deal with anger, but you have to know what type of anger we face. 
Francis de Sales writes, There was never an angry man that thought his anger was unjust. When I saw that quote this week, I stopped and thought, you know, this is so true. Oftentimes we always justify our anger by what we say or think to other people. But here's the point. We must learn how to act rather than react when it comes to anger. It is not a question of whether or not you are going to get angry. You will get angry. I will get angry. The question is not how are we supposed to act, but how are we supposed to react when it comes to anger. And this is what we want to talk about this morning. To illustrate this, let's look at Genesis chapter 4, which is the story I shared with you this morning about Cain and Abel. Now you remember what happened. Sin entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And as a result, the sin nature, that is the propensity inside of man to sin against God, came to its fruition. And now you have all of these unresolved things going on in life, and here you have a picture of two brothers. We know very little about Cain and very little about Abel, except for this one major event. Now stop for a moment. Isn't it interesting how we can do one thing in life and that characterizes our life? One very famous pastor wrote a great book down south and he kind of writes this, that every stage or every season of your life can be defined by one summary statement. You know, birth to 18, this was me. 18 to 25, this was me. 25 to 50, this was me. 50 to 65, this was me. And 65 to my death, this was me. Everything can be summarized in one statement. And this is the summary statement for Cain and Abel. Cain lost his temper and refused to deal with his anger and listen to the voice of God and killed his brother. Listen to the text. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You remember back in Genesis 3.15, and God said the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head? Well, the enemy knew what that meant, that there would come a human redeemer who would come and defeat him. And when Eve had Cain as her first son, you all listen to me carefully, the enemy pounced on him like a lion on prey. And he was all over Cain. The text says, And she bore his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. Very angry. Why was he angry? Now, I have heard this preached and preached and preached. I I love to hear preachers preach this because they know exactly why God rejected Cain's offering. And I've heard other preachers, some preachers say because he didn't bring blood. And therefore, his offering was rejected. And some will argue, misses the whole point. The whole point of this passage is not necessarily the kind of offering. 
It was who's going to listen to God. The voice of God is speaking. Abel listened. Cain didn't listen. And something happened that we don't know everything about. But whatever it was that happened between God and Cain, Cain did not respond. And when God rejected his offering, Cain became very angry. Now notice what happens. His anger was not taken out on God. His anger was taken out on who? His brother. Cain was very angry. And his face fell. You know, anger is one of those things that you can see. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Just do what I'm telling you to do. Don't ask what that is. We don't know what it was. Do what I'm telling you to do, Cain. Listen to my voice and you will be accepted. If you do not do well, that is, you do not listen to my voice, notice carefully here, sin is crouching at the door. Now, every Christian should listen closely. When we are in this battle of right and wrong and responding to the voice of God, either positively or negatively, when we willingly choose to say, God, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it my way. Listen to what this text says. Sin is crouching at your door. And it is ready to eat you up. And if we think in our own feeble mind that somehow we know better than God and His Word and we're going to do it our way, God will let us do it our way. But I'm telling you, sin is going to eat you up. And it's going to eat me up. And here's the concept of the roaring lion who's waiting behind the door. And when the Apostle Paul says, if we don't deal with our anger, you are giving the enemy a foothold. Here he is ready to pounce. Now what does Cain do? Is he going to listen to God's voice? Is he going to be a, an obedient child? Notice what God goes on to say. Its desire is contrary to you. Sin's desire is contrary to what you should do. But you must rule over it. Kind of reminds you of what we preached on last week, doesn't it? You can. There is no sin in the Christian life that's not voluntary sin. You can say no. You have the power living within you. But now, what does Cain do? If you don't, its desire is contrary, but you must rule over it. So Cain spoke to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He did not listen to the voice of God. Do you remember Jesus' summary of who Satan was? He said he is a what? A liar. He is a murderer. You remember? Right back in Genesis 3 and 4 was the, the description of where the enemy came in and had his territory. He lied about God, and here he incited Cain to take his anger out 
unresolved anger on his brother instead of dealing with his own sin. He took out his wrath on another. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Is he my responsibility? Can't you just see this utter rebellion? God, you know, I, just, I don't like you telling me what to do to start with. And now you're, you're questioning me? You ever heard people talk to God like that? I can remember being in a counseling session. A, a young lady came in and wanted to talk to me about marrying someone. And you know, as pastors, if you really want to make somebody mad, start off pre-marriage counseling. Because, you know, God tells pastors we are to tell people the truth, not to make them like us. You know, our job... Our, our calling, our responsibility is not to make people like us. I know that sounds awful. No, no, we should be friendly. We should be loving. But we should always be able to tell whoever it is, whether they're the most influential person in the community or the church, or whether they're the, the poorest beggar that can never give anything. Everybody should be treated the same. We should tell people the truth. This person came in and said, I, I want to marry this person. And they began to explain this person to me. And I asked them, is this person a believer? No, they're not. I said, well, I can answer your question right now. I can't marry you. What? You don't know what I know. Well, no, I don't. But I know enough to know that I can't marry you. Somebody else will have to marry you. I can't do that. Furious. Furious. Why won't you marry? I am just telling you, God says that you are not to be unequally yoked. You take a believer and an unbeliever and put them together, right off the bat, they have two different worldviews, two different desires, and two different masters to please. I'm not saying it can't work. I know many unsaved and saved people who are married together and they've made their marriage last. But as your pastor, I cannot marry you knowing that. Well, I'll do it my way. And they did. And as a result, another broken relationship. Not because I said it. I mean, who am I? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a spokesman. I'm just reading God's wisdom and share, share God's wisdom back. But failing to deal with it? Failing to deal with what God said. Who will listen to God's voice? And then God, of course, pronounces judgment on Cain and drove him from the land. And Cain went out on his own. Anger, by the way, is typically started and continued by four primary sources. Do you know what they are, by the way? A lot of Christians have never heard this. This is Biblical Counseling 101 on anger. Entry-level concepts, but life-transforming. What are the, the four sources of anger? Why do you get angry? Why do I get angry? Number one, hurt. When we are hurt, Oftentimes, we get very angry. Everybody has an unconditional inner need for love. When you experience rejection or emotional pain of any kind, anger can become a protective wall that keeps people and pain away. For example, if someone makes you angry and you get hurt, this is what you say to yourself. Well, that person hurt me. It's not going to happen again because right here, buddy, no closer. You are not going to get any closer than this right here to me because I've been down this road before. 
A second source of anger is injustice. Your rights have been violated. Everyone has an inner moral code that produces a sense of right and wrong, fair and unfair, just and unjust. When we perceive that an injustice has occurred against us or others, especially people we love, we may feel angry. If we hold on to the offense, the unresolved anger can begin to make a home down inside of our heart. Now, by the way, there are certain things in our life when injustice happens that we get angry over. I was driving home the other night, coming from Christiansburg, and I saw one of the worst incidents of road rage I have ever seen in my life. I I thought there was going to be a shooting that happened. A tractor-trailer cut a little car off in front of me, and the little car decided he was going to whip the tractor-trailer. Now, I'm serious here. You're talking about anger and rage. It wasn't a very bad cutoff, but it was enough to infuriate and incense this person in the little car. This car pulls out in front of this tractor-trailer, gets in the center of the road, and slams his brakes on, and has his door open because he's going to get out and fight. The tractor-trailer goes around him on the side of the road and goes on. The little car, I ended up holding way back, the car chases the tractor-trailer down, gets in front of him and tries to run him off the road. We're talking an Obama Volkswagen here, folks. A little bitty, little bitty car trying to run this tractor-trailer off. And the, the truck is giving his way. The car gets in front of him again and stops again. When the tractor-trailer doesn't stop, the guy tries to veer him off the road, the car runs through the median, goes up the wrong way, and turns around and acts like he's going to come back in a head-on collision. I was sitting there going, I cannot believe this. Finally, the car went to the left, circled back, and, and went away. And here's what I began to think to myself. What in the world could, could, could cause a person that accidentally got run off the road to get ready to go to prison for the rest of their life over. Because had he stopped in the road and had he got into a fight with this guy and had somebody gotten killed, somebody would have been going to prison for the rest of their life. I mean, seriously. Is it worth that? And here we have this injustice, rights being violated. A a fourth source of anger is fear. Do you know that some people out of fear show anger. One counselor writes, everyone is created with a God-given inner need for security. When you begin to worry, feel threatened, or get angry because of a change in circumstances, you may be responding to fear. A fearful heart reveals a lack of trust in God's plan for your life. Finally, frustration is the fourth source of anger. And that is, and by the way, this was Cain's problem. Everyone has a God-given inner need for significance. When your efforts are thwarted and do not meet your personal expectations or someone else's, then your sense of significance is threatened. Frustration over unmet expectations of yourself or of others is a major source of anger. Now, when we begin to pile all of this up and we begin to think, my gracious, there are piles of emotions here, piles of things that are related to anger. How do we deal with this? How do we resolve this anger? 
And this is what I want to talk to you about today. How do you resolve anger? Well, I put all these up here on the screen so you could see them. And maybe you'll know when I'm finished. But here it is. Number one, realize your anger. You know, what a lot of believers do not want to do is stop and say, you know what? I am an angry person. I have anger in my life over this issue or that issue, and I don't deal with it. As a matter of fact, instead of dealing with my anger, I use anger as a tool to get my way. And by the way, did you know this? A lot of people use anger in their life to control other people. It is, it is a terrible way to live, and if you live with somebody like that, God help you. Because that's a terrible way to have to live, but some people do. But the first thing you have to do is when you realize you have anger, you have to stop and willingly admit that you have unresolved anger in your heart for whatever reason. And I could go into childhood problems, things people, things people did with you in childhood. I've heard stories about young men, young girls, uh, who have a problem with a parent. And the parent would promise them things and the parent would not follow through. The parent would make negative comments about that child. And that child took that negative statement from that parent saying things to them, I'm ashamed of you, I'm disappointed in you. And that child carried that through the rest of their life. And that became their identity. You know, as a parent, that is one of the most sobering and humbling things to sit in a counseling session where you listen to a young person share with you that their name is failure or their name is shame because that is what their parents told them. I'm here to tell you this morning. Are you ready? Your Heavenly Father has said, break that chain. Your name is not shame. Your name is not regret. Your name is my child, loved, cared for, inheritor. But we have to realize we have this unresolved anger and determine the primary reason for it. What is the purpose of my anger? Do you realize that sometimes we have an unreal expectation on life? A few minutes ago I talked about we feel like our rights are violated. Let me, let me help you with something I learned a few years ago, by the way. You ready for this? What is your right as a Christian? Go ahead. No, I'm, Okay, well, somebody wants to answer. Go ahead, what? We have no rights. Well, we do have one right. Yeah, good, good man, I, I love boldness, though. Good answers. What is it, Nathan? Become children of God. Here's what we often think as Christians. Well, you know, we look around the world, I have the right to this and the right to that and the right to that. When you become a child of God, the only right you have is to live your life in the will of God and allow Him to control the rest. The Apostle Paul, who we're going to talk about next week, because next week's vice is discouragement. The Apostle Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, 
misunderstood, poor, hungry, no clothes, everybody turned against him. And we can go on down the list, and at the end of his life, this is what he said, I have learned that no matter what state I'm in, to be content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My only right in life, Lord, is to live in the light of your will, and whatever happens in the circumstances of life, I'm going to accept that. If you take people out of my life, if you put difficult people in my life, if you make me not have much, if you make me have plenty, whatever state I'm in, I'm going to learn to be content. And Father, that's the will I want to live in. That is our right as a Christian. By the way, when, when you realize this, when you realize this, it is releasing on your life. You know, sometimes we think that we have to be in control of everything. One of the greatest sources of anger is when things get out of your control. And by the way, if you don't have this in your little memory bank, remember it. You don't have very much control. If you think you do, try bossing somebody else's dog around. It just doesn't work. You don't have as much control as we think we do. And when we lose control, boy, we get angry. We get upset. Fear starts driving our life. And the next thing you know from that fear, anger starts coming. And then we try to use anger to control things. And Paul says, let me tell you, when you do that, you're giving the devil an opportunity. You're giving him a foothold in your life to destroy you. So realize your anger. And then recognize these root feelings. Hurt, injustice, fear, frustration. And then pray this. You know, you say, well, how do I know this? Here's how you do it. Turn that crazy phone off. I saw a sticker this week in the mirror. It said, leave social networking. Take your life back. I thought, man, that was a good sign. Lay that phone aside and quit looking at fake book for an hour or so and stop and, stop and pray this. Pray Psalm 139. Seriously. And say, search me, O God, and know my heart. And show it to me, God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Where is this coming from? See if there is any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. You pray that and you say, God, search me and show me where, where I am off with you. I'm going to tell you something. Get you a pencil and a piece of paper and you're going to start writing down, I like to be in control. I'm filled with pride when things don't go my way. I mean, I'm selfish. Go on down the list. And then when you get that list, there's you some devotional material for the rest of your life. You start studying, saying, Lord, how can I overcome this? I don't want to let this defeat me. I don't want to let that defeat me. Help me overcome this. Because it is a lifelong battle, and if you don't master it, it will master you. The third thing is release your rights. One of the most powerful things around. Confess that harboring anger in your heart is sin. Give your desire for revenge back to God. Refuse to hold on to your past hurts. 
You're ready by releasing them to God. This is where the, the shackles come off the chains. Releasing your hurts to God. My boys like to watch court cam. For some reason, they like to watch it on Saturday nights before I preach. We didn't watch it last night. If you know what court cam is, you know how terrible some of these court cases are. But in one particular case, one individual, and I was going to show it this morning, but it was a heinous crime, terrible. And a mother of, this, of a victim stood before the accuser who had taken the life of her beloved family member. And the, the judge gave her a chance to address this heinous, vicious criminal. And this mother begins to explain to him what he did to her and what he took away from her and how his crime and his violence made her feel and how it had destroyed her life. And she didn't hold anything back. She went all the way down the list. And I was waiting for her to come. You know, most of the time in court camp, they come across the podium and just fight and claw. But this woman did something ten times more powerful than that. That person stood over there, stone-faced, as she read down through her hurts and her pains. And then she said this, I have turned over all of my anger and my hate toward you to God. And then she said, I want you to know, because of His strength in me, I forgive you for what you did. That hardened criminal, his lips began to quiver. Tears burst down his face and he began to uncontrollably sob. The person behind the podium went and said, Your Honor, may I have your permission to go give that person a hug? And the judge granted her permission. She went over to that big murderer and she hugged him around the neck and told him, I forgive you. And he buckled. He buckled. Now we as Christians may stop for a minute and say, there is absolutely no way I could do that. Well, I would agree with you. There's no way apart from God's grace. And what we saw in that woman's life was the grace of God that gave her the power to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And she released that anger to God. And when she did, the chains broke, buddy. Not only did they break from her, they broke from him. And I don't know what the outcome of the story was. I wish they would have followed up on it. I began to sit there and think to myself, is that woman going to visit him in prison and talk to him about Jesus? Is he going to get saved? Will we see him in heaven? You know, by the way, we could see him in heaven. God has saved a lot of murderers. Did you know that? Release your rights to God. Receive God's acceptance and forgiveness. Rejoice in His purpose for your life, no matter what that may be. Restore broken relationships when possible. You know, restoration of relationships are not always possible. You may be willing to forgive and someone else may not be willing to acknowledge that. Did you know that's not your responsibility? If you choose to forgive somebody and they, don't, they say, well, what are you forgiving me for? I don't, I don't care. It is not your responsibility to accept your forgiveness. 
It's your responsibility to offer it and give it to God, and it's up to the other person what they do with it. But as one person said, when you fail to forgive, you're the only prisoner that's bound. We must forgive. If not, it's unresolved anger. And then finally, reflect Christ's love. Because what does He want to do in our life? He wants us to show His love to other people. It's not whether or not we're going to get angry. It's how we respond to anger. One night in China, a Southern Baptist missionary named C.O. Culpepper stayed up late for devotions. But as he tried to pray, he felt like stone. Finally, he asked, Lord, what is the matter? He had opened up his Bible to Romans chapter 2, verse 17, and it seemed the Apostle Paul were speaking directly to me, he said. Quote, but if you call yourself a Christian and rely upon the gospel and boast of your relation to God and know His will and approve what is excellent, and if you are sure you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, a correction to the foolish, a teacher of the children, you then, who teach others, will you not teach yourself? Culpepper says the Holy Spirit used this verse like a sword to cut right into my heart. He said, quote, You are a hypocrite. You claim you're a Christian. You have a, have you, what have you done for Christ? The Lord said those who believe on Him would have rivers of living water flowing from the inmost being. Do you have that kind of power in your life? Culpepper went and awakened his wife and they prayed together all the way into the night. The next morning at a prayer meeting with fellow workers, he confessed to pride and spiritual impotence, saying that his heart was broken. The Holy Spirit began to so convict others of sin that they could hardly bear it when Culpepper shared. I watched their faces, he says. They all grew pale. Then they began to cry and drop on their knees or fall prostrate on the floor. Missionary went to missionary, confessing wrong feelings toward one another. Chinese preachers, guilty of envy, jealousy, hatred, all confessed their sin to one another, and a revival broke out. This revival spread through the church, the seminary, the hospital, and all churches in the region. But perhaps the deepest impact was made on Culpepper's friend, Wiley B. Glass, a much-respected missionary. As Glass said in the meetings, a man's face came before him as God and seemed to be suddenly the Spirit bringing him under deep conviction. In great anguish, Glass went to Culpepper and fell on his shoulder and said, Charlie, you must pray for me. Both men went to their knees, but Glass was so distressed he could not express his problem. He was pale as death and kept groaning in his anxiety. I prayed for him. And for him, several times during that day and the next, in the evening of the second day, he came running to me and threw his arms around me. Charlie, it's gone! It's gone! He exclaimed. I said, What's gone? He replied, That old root of bitterness. He told me that 30 years earlier, before he came to China, a man had insulted his wife. The insult had made him so angry that he felt like he could have killed the man had he ever saw him again. 
He realized that a called servant of God should never feel that way. And it had bothered him for years that he had never been able to deal with it. Finally, he just turned the man to God. When the Holy Spirit began working in his heart during that week, the question came, Are you willing for the person who offended you the greatest to be saved? He answered, Lord, I am willing for you to save him. Just keep him on the other side of heaven. Finally, he came to the place where he said, Lord, if that man is alive, and if I can find him when I go home on furlough, I will confess my hatred to him for 30 years and do my best to win him to you. When he reached that decision, the Lord released the joys of heaven to his soul, and he was filled with love and peace. He became a more effective preacher for the Lord, and during the next few years, he led hundreds of people to Jesus. What is controlling your life today? What is it? Only you know that. And what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do right now is release it to Him and deal with it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for you this morning and for myself as well. That God would give us grace to deal with all of these things that bring unjust anger in our life. Because we know it's the devil's foothold. And Father, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice, whether here in person or online, that you will help us, Lord, to identify the areas of anger in our life and help us to realize that sometimes you bring pain and problems and circumstances to make us more like you. They're not comfortable. And it's not a question of whether anger will happen. It's how we are going to react to it and respond. So help us this morning to release our anger, to address it and to be honest about it, and then to have your provision for our life, whatever that is, Lord, whatever you want to allow into our life, you give us the grace to deal with it. Whether it's difficult people or circumstances or things that we feel like are impossible for us to forgive or to conquer or to accomplish, we know there's your grace through Christ. And Father, I pray that chains of bitterness and anger and forgiveness will flourish this morning, that you'll take the anger and the clamor and the wrath that you tell us to put behind and instead cover that with forgiveness and love and mercy. And help us to turn those things over to you and to expect and to ask for your grace to help us to deal with it. So I pray for that this morning, that the shackles would fall from the hearts of your people in our greatest hurt and in our greatest problem. We thank you for Jesus who is the answer to all of our needs and we thank you for his death on the cross which made it possible for forgiveness and restoration and grace to flow through our life to ultimately give us the victory and to not give our enemy a foothold. 
So we ask for your mercy this morning. And we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.